I'm Hillary. I'm Emily. And, and we're, we're the, the sirens. sirens. Today we're talking about the 1938 screwball comedy, Bringing Up Baby. The plot is very difficult to distill down to a summary, <laughs> but I will try. Harry paleontologist David Huxley, played by Cary Grant, has to make a good impression on society matron Mrs. Random, who is considering donating $1 million to his museum. On the day before his wedding, Huxley meets Mrs. Random's high-spirited young niece, Susan Vance, played by Katherine Hepburn, a madcap adventurous who immediately falls for the straight-laced scientist. The ever-growing chaos, including a missing dinosaur bone and a pet leopard, threatens to swallow him whole. This is a movie that in many ways makes no sense. (laughs) It makes no sense. Manages to be very charming. (laughs) Is also considered, by today's standards, one of the best comedies of all time. Yeah. Um, So, (laughs) and Hillary, had you watched this one? Um, I'd seen it a long time ago and couldn't remember the plot. And then watching this movie, I realized that one of the reasons why I couldn't remember the pot- plot was because it was all over the place. But in a good way. <laughs> 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 yeah, that's... I had watched it maybe once or twice, but like the most recent time must have been 10 years ago or more. Yeah. And I remember just finding Susan very annoying. <laughs> no. <laughs> That's like the main, my, that was my main takeaway. And that Cary Grant wore glasses, but I actually enjoyed it more this time. Yeah. I do have some trivia yes. about this movie. Okay. Which there is quite a bit. Yeah. This is probably fairly well known, but the movie did terrible at the box office. Uh-huh. So bad that Howard Hawks was fired from his next production at RKO, and Katherine Hepburn had to buy out her own contract to avoid being cast in a B-film called Mother Carrie's Chickens (laughs) after this came out. She was labeled as box office poison after this came out. And it was only when this started showing on TV in later years that it became, like, a big hit. And didn't... Cary Grant also, like, suffered some kind of, like, sense of foreboding after this movie where he was like, oh, I'm 34 years old, I guess my career is over. Yeah, he wasn't as big of a star at that point as some of the other leading men, and I think was beginning to despair that that would never happen, and this film didn't really do anything to help him. (laughs) Poor guy. (laughs) I know. Well, we know how it turned out. That's right. Gonna be fine, Carrie. So the the leopard that played Baby was named Nissa, and Catherine Hepburn was actually really good at working with it. She was pretty fearless around it, and a lot of the scenes where you see her like petting the leopard are legitimate. Oh, um, but Cary Grant was afraid of him, and like usually used a double in the scenes where he actually had to interact with the leopard close up. Mm-hmm. Catherine Hepburn had a close call with Nyssa. She was wearing a skirt that was lined with metal to make the skirt swing more like prettily for the camera. And when she turned abruptly, it caught the leopard's eye and the leopard leaped for her back. And then apparently the trainer whipped it into submission, which doesn't Ugh. sound very nice to me. No. And, and um, after that, the leopard was not allowed to roam the set freely. 
and Hepburn had to be more careful around it. But I was like, why would you let a leopard roam the set anyway? Yeah. Uh, um, Mike watched part of this movie with me, and the part where they were like, this is a tame leopard. He was like, there's no such thing as a tame leopard. There's only tame-ish. Yeah. Um, which I think is probably true. Um, yeah, a tame leopard. Not a thing. <laughs> So, to get a rise out of Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn actually put a stuffed leopard through a vent in the top of his dressing room and had it, like, pop out, and he ran out of the room. (laughs) Um, Which makes me like her even more. Did you notice, so, when Aunt Elizabeth first meets David and she responds to why he's wearing a woman's dressing gown... Because I just went gay all of a sudden. Uh That's considered by many film historians to be the first use of the word gay in its modern sense. Yeah. And it wasn't actually in the script, but was ad-libbed by Cary Grant. Who? Closet, potentially gay man, so. Yeah. Yeah. I want to read more about his personal life in in that new Cary Grant biography. Yes. Um, So, last piece, Christopher Reeve based his performance as Clark Kent and Superman on Cary Grant's character, David Huxley, from this film. Which I don't really see a mannerism comparison, but in terms of looks and, like, facial expressions, I do see it. Yeah, the, like, super nerdiness and straight-lacedness. So I have a question for you. The dog in this movie, is this the same dog from The Thin Man? Oh, I wanted to look that up. I I wondered about that. Um, Was that dog's named Asta? Yeah. Okay, then it's it's the same dog. Yay! <laughs> they had it in the opening credits. It was like, and Asta as George. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and, he, I, and he's played by Skippy. Oh, yeah, and due to the pop, I'm looking at the Wikipedia article right now. Due to the popularity of the role, Skippy is sometimes credited as Asta in the public and in other films. So he didn't even have the, he didn't even get to keep his name. He also, <laughs> he plays Mr. Smith in The Awful, Awful Truth as well. Man, he was everywhere. Yeah. Well, he is really cute and also a good actor, so I'm here for yeah, it. Yeah, we'll keep it. Good call. I wondered and I wanted to look it up. Um, so did, who did you bio for this movie? Um, I bioed Mae Robson, who played the aunt. Oh. Yes. I liked her. This is random. Aunt Elizabeth. Uh, I didn't know anything about her before uh, bioing her, and, um, you know, she actually led a, sort of an interesting life. So she was born Mary Jeanette Robison in April 1858 in the colony of New South Wales in Australia. She was the fourth child of Julia and Henry Robison. Her father, Henry, was actually born in England, served 24 years in the British Merchant Navy as a sea captain, but took retirement at half pay due to poor health, which eventually led to moving with his family to Australia, where he was he worked as a watchmaker, a jeweler, a silversmith, an ornamental hair worker, and then... He, they moved out to the bush where they he opened a hotel for his health, and that was where uh, May Robson uh, was born. After her father died uh, when almost two years old, you know, they stayed out there. Her mother remarried two years later and moved the family first to Melbourne, then to London, and Mary and her siblings received a first-class education in London and Brussels. She ran away. Yeah. So, like... There's, it seemed like there were lots of shifts in, in fortune and health and all kinds of things. So she ran away from home at a youngish age to marry her first husband, Charles Gore, 
uh, in London. They traveled to the United States where they purchased 380 acres of land in Fort Worth, Texas, where they built a house and uh, tried to establish a cattle ranch, but they only lasted two years before ill health and poor crops sent them back to New York where Charles Gord died, unfortunately. She stayed in New York for quite a number of years, uh, about 20 years. Um, she took in like crochet projects and embroidery, designed dinner cards, taught painting, um, all to support the three children that she had. By the time her acting career uh, actually took off in 1883, uh, she had, unfortunately, two of her children um, had died uh, due to illness. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And her surviving son, Edward Gore, became her business manager when she began her stage career uh, in 1883. By that time, she had married uh, again, marrying a police surgeon, um, and they stayed together until he died in 1920. So it was a, a long marriage and a relatively long uh, acting career because her first stage role was uh, in the show Hoop of Gold at the Brooklyn Grand Opera House stage. And in that playbill, her name was incorrectly spelled. Um, and so she just took on that name, Mae Robson, as a kind of as like a stroke of good luck. And so the next couple of decades, she acted on stage in like comedy and character roles and then she sort of like built a successful alliance with a powerful manager and producer named Charles Froman in the the theater theatrical syndicate in New York um and then she actually established her own touring company in 19 in 1911 she appeared in a number of of silent films both like as characters and as herself like that's how famous she was that she could like appear as her own self and then in 1927 she went to Hollywood and sort of had a second phase of a career as a senior aged woman as we saw in this movie um playing the aunt um the rich aunt um it's kind of like the the kind of role that she had for the last part of her career. She's had like top billing in movies up and up until 1940, starring in the movie Granny Get Your Gun at the age of 82. Whoa. Yeah. Her last film was 1942's Joan of Paris. Um, in 1933, she was nominated for an Academy Award at age 75 in the Best Actress category for the movie Lady for a Day. She lost to Katherine Hepburn. Oh. But she was the first Australian uh, nominated for an Oscar, and for many years she actually, she also held the record as the oldest performer nominated for an Oscar. And she died in 1942 in Beverly Hills at the age of 84. Whoa. Oh, well, it sounds like she had a very varied and successful life. Yeah. <laughs> Although, also lots of tragedy. Lots of people die yeah. in her immediate family. Yeah, for all of the, like what sounded like early death and for a lot of people in her family it's kind of remarkable that she lived to be 84 yeah that's cool i thought she was really good in this role yeah she was funny and she had great facial expressions yeah the closest thing to a straight man that this movie had yes (laughs) that was one of the things i read in the trivia that was like a criticism of the movie is that it needed a straight man. Yeah. And there just wasn't one. She and Miss Swallow had a lot of, like, straight manning to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Miss Swallow was barely on screen. I know. She had, like, a total of, like, four minutes of screen time. <laughs> well, do you want to get into general impressions? Yeah. I mean, we kind of talked a little bit about the madcapness of it. What What are your What are your first thoughts about this movie? It's one of those movies where, like, if you zoom out uh-huh. and you just kind of look at the whole movie, I like it. But if if I get too much into 
like individual characters and motivations, I'm less yeah, into you're it. Like, if that makes sense. David, why are you involved in this woman at all? Like, yeah, exactly. Just turn around I mean, and walk away. <laughs> a po- file a police report that this wacky lady has stolen your car and walk away. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. And you know, as a parent of young children, the first time I was watching this, I fell asleep. And then when I like picked it up again, I was like, did I miss something? Like, why is he so invested in getting this leopard back? Like, it has nothing to do with it. Really, they're like the explanations were not very convincing, but it's yeah. it's not meant to hold up to a lot of scrutiny, I don't think. No. And I thought Katherine Hepburn was really great like, to me, she was the star of this more than Cary Grant was. Yeah. But also, I really dislike her character. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is a testament to her skill that we can appreciate that she's, like, you know, she's doing a fantastic job, but we still find her character totally, like, outlandish and, like, not likable. Yeah, she was just oblivious, and I wrote so many times in my notes, like, she is so privileged. (laughs) And what was the deal with her just stealing everyone's cars? Do people just leave their keys in their cars? Like, she would just take any car. Yeah, without any regard for, like ownership at all no i don't know sort of looking at trivia and i didn't realize this but this was her one of her very first forays into comedy and she sucked at it at the beginning and like to the point where howard hawks was like i don't know what to do with you and he like he tried to like get like there were some like vaudevillian like veterans on like on the like in the cast like in smaller roles he tried to get them to like help her out and, you know, they kind of demurred because they were like, well, you know, like, I'm only going to give her help if she asks for help. Um, and so she, like, finally was like, um, you got to help me. And they, like, pulled, you know, came in for her to, you know, like, to teach her better, you know, how to, like, how to do comedic timing and how to not, like, laugh at your own jokes. Um, that kind of thing. <laughs> so... Yeah, I mean, considering that she did not have that experience, it's pretty impressive that she did this well. Yeah. Well, and then to, like, think about, like, in some of the other roles that we've seen her in that were just, you know, I mean, a few years later, but, you know, like, Holiday was, I think, the same year. You know, it's not really, like, comedic necessarily, but, like, definitely requires some of that timing. Yeah. Well, my other criticism of this movie is that I think it kind of wastes Cary Grant. Yeah. Because because he's so charming and so funny and his character in this is so humorless. Yeah. Like he's just annoyed all the time. Mm -hmm. Which isn't to say that he's not funny in some of the scenes, but it's just like he has such a clamped down personality that Mm -hmm. it doesn't let Cary Grant's charm show. Mm Mm-hmm. It allows him to showcase some of the zaniness, like, in the scene where he's sitting on the step waiting for, like, Aunt Elizabeth and Susan to, like, like go through who he is and what he's doing there and how he's, like, had a mental breakdown and blah, blah. And he's, like, you, like, see Cary Grant's, like, reaction shots and you're, like, okay, you, like, you're hamming it up. But, you know, it's not the the charming Cary Grant that we know and love. No. Actually, I thought those were his best scenes in the movie. Yeah. (laughs) Like, where he's in the dressing gown and he's just kind of flipping out. Yeah. Yeah, because he really is flipping out. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I thought that was the best part. But, um, so those are, like, my main criticisms of it. But it it is funny. Like, I was laughing at a lot of parts of it. It's just so ridiculous. 
And the way that Susan just kept going along with everything and, like, acting like everything was normal. Yeah. Uh, just like, that like, was great. Yeah, like, of course there's a leopard in my bathroom. You know, of course we're gonna go, like, search for the dog bone that, you know, the dog, or the, the dinosaur bone that the dog, like, buried somewhere. Of course I'm gonna, like, steal this guy's clothes and send them to the cleaner in town because then he won't leave. <laughs> yeah, that was the other thing that I did not get was like so i read that there apparently were scenes in the middle of the movie where they confess their love for each other that were then cut but it was very unclear to me you know why susan fell in love with him at what point that happened it almost seemed like that psychiatrist just suggested to her like oh he's being mean to you because he likes you and then it was like like a switch went off and she was like well i guess i'm in love with him yeah yeah and it was based on nothing. And the same thing with him. Like, it really seemed like he hated her for most of the movie. And, like, you know, someone would hate <laughs> yeah. hate her in that situation. And I was like, how are they ever going to resolve this so they're together at the end? And then it turned out that there really wasn't a resolution. When, when she, like, comes to the museum and he's like... I love you. I'm like, but you were just, you were just, you were going to get married to another woman. Like, how did you go from hating her to being in love with her? Yeah, that part didn't make sense. I mean, he did have that line saying that was the most funny it ever had. I mean, the only thing I could think is that he makes allusions early in the movie when he's talking with Miss Swallow. Of, and she's just like, everything will be about your work. Yeah. And we will have no consorting and no children, and no personal life. And I was like, well, that sounds great. Yeah. (laughs) And he seemed like he wanted those things. Yeah. Um, And I guess when he was with her, he kind of had life outside of work. But, I mean, that is... It's still a stretch to think he could go from that to all of a sudden being in love with this person who, you know, for all intents and purposes, ruined his life. She, like... Turns his life upside down for like what, forty-eight hours? Is that is it, or is it just twenty-four hours? I don't know. It's just like, I think not a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's not a long time. Somehow, I I never understood why he was like, "Oh, I'll go with you to Connecticut with your leopard." <laughs> if someone was like, "Hey, come come to Connecticut with my leopard," I'd be like, "No, I have to get married today." Particularly if that person was an annoying acquaintance. (laughs) Yeah, I would be like, no, goodbye. It did remind me of His Girl Friday in some ways, where it was the same kind of thing that, like, the person was supposed to get married and they just come up with excuses to keep stalling it until they finally convince them not to get married. Yeah. Although Cary Grant was a lot more charming in that one. (laughs) (laughs) He was kind of a jerk in that one. Well, no, he was, but he was still Cary Grant. Like, this, to me, didn't seem like the yeah. typical Cary Not Grant. Not the Cary Grant we know and love, that's true. Um, were there any particular comedic bits that you liked a lot? Um, I don't know. I feel like I spent a lot of this movie, like, getting a sense of a scene, like, un- like understanding what's happening in one scene, and then, like, on to the next one. It was, like, one thing after another. I feel like I, like, didn't catch everything because it was just like one thing after another and I don't like I'm not sad about that like because I just like it felt really full like in a good way but one thing this is not a comedic thing but one thing you that you didn't mention in the trivia but a thing that I found fascinating was because 
they had this wild animal on the set that was, like, they had to, like, do a bunch of, like, cool optical tricks that I didn't notice while we were, like, we were watching it, although Jen was watching with me and she said she noticed some of these things, that there was a lot of, like, split-screen stuff that they did and, like, Mm -hmm. transparent cages and, like, with the with the leopard and the leopard isn't actually there with the, like when they're in the car to it, driving to Connecticut they like filmed the leopard separately and then like put like put him in and that's like those kinds of things are just like fascinating like how how do you do that in an era before like the internet and the, before like CGI yeah how do you I mean that's just like I mean to me that is like like some high art yeah, it, it, it even did a lot of clever things with the way they cut the shots so that it wasn't super obvious if, like, the leopard wasn't right there. You know what I mean? Like, they would cut back, like, when um Catherine Hepburn was, like, tugging yes. the leopard into the jail yeah. and that kind of thing. And it was pretty seamless. Like, I was the same as you. I didn't really notice the effects. It, it all looked good to me. Yeah. Yeah. Which, like, I mean, I know you asked about comedic things, but I just think that that's, that those, like, technical things are so cool. And, I, I mean, I do think there are a lot of lines where I was like, wait, what? <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I got, I feel like I need to, like, go back and hear that again because it was so, like, wisecracky and, like, madcap and just, like, one thing after another. <laughs> Yeah, it. I actually caught a lot more stuff when I was watching the second half of it. I put the subtitles on. Oh, yeah. And then I got more of the little jokes. But it seemed like the kind of movie that would benefit from rewatching because of how much was packed into the dialogue. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I thought it was really funny, the scene where Baby is on the roof. <laughs> Yeah. And they're singing to it, yes. like, I can't give you anything but love. And then, like, the dog starts singing, and then the leopard starts singing. Like, I love that. Some of the lines were really funny. I liked when the ant said, I can't have another lunatic in the family. <laughs> yeah, I was like, who's the other one? <laughs> And I liked when they, like, went into the river and they it looked shallow and then... They, <laughs> I know, it was classic. They fell in and then Catherine Hepburn was like, did we get across? <laughs> and then they don't get across and she says something like, well, the least you could have done was get us across. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of the lines were just really funny. <laughs> yeah, it was, really. Well, we keep singing that line, or that, you know, the song back and forth to each other, um... John and I, because she watched it with me, which is kind of a funny thing. <laughs> yeah, I've had that in my head, too. I, it was really funny, like, various, when the leopard was leaping out of the car, and they were, like, frantically trying to sing the song. I know. <laughs> frantically singing, I can't give you anything but love. <laughs> I also want to just take a moment to discuss all of the fashion in this movie. <laughs> I th- like 50% of my notes are just about Katherine Hepburn's clothes. Oh, I thought you were going to so. say uh, not only Cary Grant in his uh, robe, but then when he like is raiding her brother's closet and just puts on the riding gear and then is walking around <laughs> in riding gear and sandals, I think. That was so funny because the, the, the tails of the coat were too long, but the sleeves were too short. And I was like, what does this dude look like who wears this? <laughs> That was great. Uh, yeah, Cary Grant in that, like, fur-trimmed robe was amazing. 
gosh. I have, oh, and of course, like his glasses, we must do homage. Oh, yes. Because they were pretty fabulous. Yes, as a glasses wearer, I uh, appreciate that he made glasses look both smart and sexy. Yes. So, <laughs> a very quick overview. Um, the polka dot jumpsuit. Yes. That Catherine Hepburn wears. Uh-huh. The peignoir, where she is also petting a leopard uh-huh. and her vanity. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's a whole mood. Uh-huh. That's, like, <laughs> that a I... thing to aspire to. I believe that I you could pull that off, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> and at one point, she's wearing, like, a striped fit and flare dress with cage heels. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh! So the whole the whole thing is just well. You could dress like that too if you were an heiress from the nineteen thirties. Yeah, I guess that's true. She does so many outfit changes. If this is only twenty four hours, she does like seventeen <laughs> outfit changes twenty four hours. How about the dress that uh, he pulls? He accidentally pulls the back off of. Oh yeah, that was hilarious. Did you see the trivia that that was based on something that really happened? Okay, so. I did see that trivia. The trivia that I saw was that it happened to Cary Grant in a theater. His zipper was down, and it got caught on a woman's dress, and then he had to follow her out of the theater. And I, I was, I was reading. We watched this movie while we were like driving back from Illinois, like on a like the night when we like stayed over. We watched it, and then we got in the car the next morning, and I was reading trivia. And so I read that piece of trivia out to Jen, and Jen was like, what was he doing in a theater with his zipper down? <laughs> that is yeah, as far as we got in the trivia. <laughs> that does not sound plausible. Or like, it, this was a lot of, like, some and funny it, business if it happening. it was down, why was it so close to this woman's dress? Right. Some funny business was happening. That's what was happening, <laughs> I think. Yeah, that was a funny scene, too. I thought, like... The pacing of the movie, it got better as the movie went on. Yeah. Right. As like, you sort in some of... of the early scenes, I'm just like, oh, gosh, this woman is awful, and he's dour, and, like, what's happening? Yeah, it was like, you went into the first, like, 15 minutes, and you were like, um, this movie has a plot, right? And then the longer you're in it, you're like, no, there is no plot. There is a leopard wandering around a farm in Connecticut for some kind of reason, and Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant are there. And that's really all you need to know about this movie. That, yeah. <laughs> and there's a that's dog. There's a cute dog. George played by Asta, <laughs> a.k.a. Skippy. <laughs> two cute leopards. That's right. That's right. The second leopard. Which, I have to say, that is like the introduction of the second leopard. I actually did love that. That's like some classic, like, mistaken identity, but with leopards. <laughs> It was like, how can we do a new twist on mistaken identity? Leopards. <laughs> Bring in some large cats. Um, actually, speaking of clothes and the property and how much time passes, so they like they go into the river and get all wet, and then instead of going to the house, they build a fire and dry their clothes over the fire, and then. Put their clothes back on, yes. and then, like, can you explain to me why they didn't just go back to the house? No, I'm glad you brought that up, because did you notice that Catherine Hepburn's hair was also, like, recoiled <laughs> somehow? Like, it was reset. So she went back to her vanity to fix her hair, but not to change her clothes. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that was really funny. I was like, where did you get the stuff to make a fire? Aren't you on your own property? Yeah. <laughs> How big is this place that you can't go back to the house? Oh gosh, I don't know. See, this is what I mean. Does not bear up to scrutiny. 
but it's not meant to. That's right. It's not meant to be podcasted. <laughs> we all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. Do you think we're ready to talk about social justice? <laughs> sure. You know, a prime theme of this yeah, movie. Yeah, prime theme of this movie. Like, the leopard. Was he happy? Yeah, no one stopped to ask if that leopard was happy. <laughs> and the other one was being sent to the gas chamber. Oh, yeah. For nipping at somebody. Yeah, justice for leopards. Um, the One of the things I made a lot of notes about was just how incredibly privileged she was Uh and just did whatever she wanted and assumed there would be no consequences Uh and repeatedly broke the law like when she she (laughs) stole another car and then no first she parked in front of the fire hydrant and then she stole yeah and then when carrie grant was like um how are you gonna get this car back to its owner and she was like oh i'll have the gardener take it back as if people wouldn't then, like, question the gardener, and then he would end up in jail. It's fine. He was a drunkard. <laughs> it doesn't matter. And he was an Irish drunk. If yeah, that's not a stereotype, I don't know what is. Um, I wrote at one point, you would have to take to the bottle to work for this family. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's not a social justice message. It's, it's, but that was what struck me the most, is, like, she was a rich white girl mm-hmm. and she went through life as if there were no consequences to anything that she did and she was right yeah there were no consequences she could talk her way into or out of anything there was this is not really social justice either but you know i was interested in the fact that like he he was a scientist who had spent four years working on this dinosaur skeleton and he finally got like this piece that he'd been waiting for for four years the intercostal clavicle which like is that a actual bone i don't know it just sounds funny when you repeat it. So he finally got that bone, but he still, like, had to, like, make dates with, you know, big funders to, like, get money to, like, fund his work, which I think is fairly common still now to, like, have to schmooze all the these funders to get funding for the work that you're doing. And so he, like, basically has to, like, go along with this, like, madcap thing. So, like, in the end, so that, you know, Mrs. Random doesn't discover that he's the paleontologist who is, you know, like, she might want to give this million dollars to. Um, So it's, like, this fight over this this money. So it made me, I mean, like, to me, me, it's not, again, not social justice, but it made me think about funding for the arts and museums. Oh, yeah, that's a good point, that even though he was doing this incredible work, he still had to grovel. Yeah. (laughs) Or everything would fall apart yeah and he had to be the one to gravel like there was no like museum director whatever who was like schmoozing i agree with that other than that though i did not see any kind of i don't think there were any like sincere messages to this movie no nothing about this movie was sincere (laughs) i've been living my own life making my own decisions for a long while now it's impossible to go back to being treated like a child again well what about bechtel I feel like every time Susan talks to another woman in this movie, there is an undertone of, like, her love for David or trying to, like, win the love of David. So I don't think it passes the Bechdel test because, like, that pretty quickly becomes her motivation, you know, to, like, stay with him and get him to fall in love with her. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. I, she did not seem like she had any motivations beyond keeping him around and like doing whatever came into her head at the moment yeah (laughs) right yeah um i mean there were multiple female characters in this which was like better than some other movies that we watch Mm -hmm. but um they don't really talk to each other very much about anything other than a man or something like transactional yeah 
Well, and, and Anne Elizabeth has a lot of power because she has this, you know, million dollars that she's going to give to somebody, but she, like, she's not a, like, really fully formed character, I don't think. Like, we don't really know, like, where the million dollars came from or where her husband, what happened to her husband or, you know, why she's giving away this one million dollars, so. Yeah, that's true. I would like more backstory on her. Yeah. And was she supposed to be dating Major Applegate? Yeah, I don't know. Was I, that the vibe? I that was a that was a vibe that I got from the Major Applegate character. He was a whole other thing. <laughs> <laughs> he was like when they were at the dinner party. I was like, this is the worst sort of dinner guest. He's just telling like long stories that make him himself look good. Yeah. Don't invite Major Applegate to your COVID safe dinner parties. No, not worth it. <laughs> So, this is the third Catherine Hepburn, Cary Grant matchup that we've watched. That is correct. We did not really watch them in order, but that's okay. No. What What's your ranking so far? Whew. I will always be really partial to Holiday because, like, it's. I think it's the one that I've seen the most times. I feel like Holiday, Philadelphia Story, and Bringing Up Baby is my ranking of the ones we've seen. Interesting. What about you? Well, I would put Philadelphia Story at the top. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I have a complicated history with that movie, as you know. But, like, I like both of them the best in those roles, I think. Yeah. I guess then I would put Holiday next and then Bringing Up Baby. Yeah. But, like, it's still Hepburn and Grant, so, like... Yeah, no, I'm not going to disparage any of these movies. (laughs) Right. Oh, one of the things I read from the background with this movie is that they were just, like, very good friends. Oh, yeah. And they, like, the, like, production schedule ended up, one of the reasons why it was over budget is because it was took, it took longer because they kept cracking each other up, right? Yeah. And they, they both liked working on the movie so much that they would, like, come to set early and work on ad libs together yeah. and stuff. And they double dated outside of the show. And that's always been the vibe that I get from them on screen is that they are much more friends than like having a lot of chemistry. Yeah, they're pals. Um, so that's why with their movie, like I enjoy their movies because I like both of them so much, but I don't think any of them are like great romances. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Listeners should know that we have decided to watch the fourth Catherine Hepburn, yes. Cary Grant movie, just so that we round it out. Yeah, you know, I like to have a, a a full set or whatever. Yeah, so at some point this year we'll be watching. It's it's called Sylvia Scarlet. Sylvia Scarlet. Okay, and I don't think neither of us have seen it before. Yeah. Don't. Um, anyway, uh, so what's your rating for Bringing Up Baby? I'm gonna give it a a three, because but it, like a positive three. Yeah. Plot, non-existent. You kind of can't pay attention to it too much. But on the other hand, like, perfectly pleasant. Definitely rewatchable. Yeah. You know, a nice, like, end of a stressful week movie, for sure. Yes. Hillary, we are decordo on this. <laughs> yes! I, I would also give it a three for exactly the same reasons. Like, if this was on TV on, like, a Sunday afternoon, I would put it on. Yeah. Um, yes! I also think it would be, like, kind of a great background movie because there's a lot of very slapsticky things happening, totally. which you know I like. Yes. Yeah. And, like, it's a great, it is a great background movie because, like, there's no, as we have discussed, there's, like, no continuity from one, or there's very little continuity continuity from one scene to the next. So you're just like, whatever, sure. 
Yeah, I mean, we paid close attention to the entire plot this time, and things still didn't make sense, yeah. so you're not going to miss anything no. if you take your eyes off of it. No. Except maybe, like, someone falling down or something <laughs> like that. No. So, Hill, what is our February movie going to be? So, for Valentine's Month, we are going back to a classic, classic romantic pairing with Pillow Talk. Yes, back to Doris Day. Back to Doris Day. It's been a while. Yeah, and our first Rock Hudson movie, I think. Oh, yeah. Yay. Yay. May it please the court, I submit that my entire line of defense is based on the proposition that persons of the female sex should be dealt with before the law as the equals of persons of the male sex. Follow The Screen Sirens on Twitter at The Screen Sirens. And leave us a review on iTunes or SoundCloud to help other people find us. Thanks for listening. After all, tomorrow is another day. Thank you.